the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. If I describe someone to you as an individual who has had a life of failures, some that just were handed to her, others that kind of came on their own, that led to failed relationships, failed marriages, failed businesses, failed spiritual life, even failed reputation, would that sound like that's somebody that you necessarily want to hear from? Well, from the standpoint of learning how to not make mistakes... Probably, absolutely. And also from the notion that we serve a God who is not only a forgiving God, but a faithful God. A new book out by my guest tonight, someone whose name I think you will readily recognize. The book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Its author, Athena Dean Holtz. And Athena, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be with you today. Wow. You know, uh, there are listeners that may be familiar with your work, uh, certainly many years as the one of the co-founders and owner of Wine Press Publishing. Um, you have been involved in a lot in the, the Christian world. And some people might say at this juncture in life, Athena G., you have been through the ringer <laughs> and then some. And yeah. some might say, uh, you know, Athena, with all that you have been through and the the publicity that you've already received, not all of it necessarily, uh, all of that welcoming down through the years, uh, why seek more or, or why go public with your side of the story? Well, I think because God has worked so much redemption out of so much destruction that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who've gone through absolute devastation like I did maybe not to the extreme that I did but and have kind of just been disappointed in God or felt like maybe God abandoned them or betrayed them so gosh if my story of hope can encourage someone to not give up on God to to actually see his and and actually cause them to look back and see the times God was faithful even when it seemed like, you know, chaos, uh, that's we need to know that our God is faithful. 
How would you describe this journey? It is certainly, it's marked by many highlights, and what I would characterize is your quest to find and meet God. Along the way, you got involved with a couple of cults. Well, maybe three, I guess we could include in there, if we uh, add to the list the number of years that you were involved in the quote-unquote Church of Scientology. I'm putting my air quotes up here. The listeners can't mm-hmm. see. Um, so a lot of your a lot of your life on that spiritual journey, so to speak. Some of it encouraged early on by your own grandmother, whom I understand was a, a unity pastor. Exactly. So I had no foundation at all of a Christian nature. It was all very new age, and you know I, I could feel God wooing me as a young girl, but with no one to point me in the right direction, uh, the counterfeits were uh, everywhere, and I was uh, easily drawn into them looking for purpose. I'm, I'm the kind of person, I, I want to see justice. I want, uh, I want to be involved in a cause that's going to make a difference. And so, of course, the enemy is going to use that to try and lead me off to to something that is is a false cause. Is there a way in which there's almost a degree to which um, a person of your talents, your character is almost, uh, the cults are almost drawn to? And I ask that question, Athena, because you're, you're driven, you're articulate, you're hardworking, you have a career, you've been a successful business leader, a business person. And I wonder if that profile, so to speak, is something that, as we talk often about people being drawn to the cults, but are the cults drawn to that kind of profile as well? Well, you know, if you think about it, Scientology, they target celebrities and opinion leaders because they know if they can get them, they'll get all the people that follow them who will not even question whether it's a good thing or not. They'll go, wow, that person is doing it. It must be good. So, absolutely, that's a great question. How did you first get drawn into, in this spiritual journey of yours, we mentioned about your exposure to the Unity Church as a young girl visiting your grandmother down in Santa Monica, I think it was, but but eventually you got involved in Scientology, and, and I would suggest not at a very casual level in that you mentioned about celebrities. You worked for quite a while at the Celebrity Center in Los Angeles, and and uh, you eventually married a man who was part of the Sea Org. Exactly. And again, it seemed like a cause. It was there was a lot of important people that was in, that was made a, a big deal to me to be around people of influence, and that started at a young age. So uh, I just played right into that. And boy, working at the Celebrity Center. What I mean, I was working for Helen Reddy and other celebrities before I ever got sucked into Scientology. So it was kind of an interesting uh, shift that, you know, I I, I was vulnerable because I I didn't know any better. Was it for you always a quest or were there times of of satisfaction? And I ask that question because to to listeners who are maybe not familiar with some of the the, um, science fiction principles, and I use that term intentionally, the science fiction principles of Scientology, you're you're kind of working your way through um, uh, past experiences to going to the point of becoming 
becoming clear, and anybody can Google this and you'll find out what we're talking about, but it seems as if there's always the next level to get to. There's always one more thing that you're working on in an effort to try to to achieve that sense of, of satisfaction in Christianity. We might call it peace and joy. Was there ever a time within that experience for you, Athena, that you felt like, wow, I've really made it, or was it constantly a, a effort to try and achieve the next thing in an effort to try and, and achieve a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment? Exactly. It was always, it was never enough. It was never, uh, you never quite got there, and I think they set it up that way so they could just milk people for more money. I mean, really, that's the truth of it. So, yes, there was never any uh, coming to a place of going, wow, this is what I this is what I was looking for and I found it. Because it really didn't exist anyway. It was just L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, thing he made up in his head to do people into, you know, making them rich. You left Scientology, came back, left it again. In fact, I think it was about uh, three cycles, wasn't there all told? Uh-huh. Yep. And uh and the final one was when we actually uh, found a book that was in the house we moved into that was written by Alistair Crowley. Bad dude. The guy who brought Satanism from Britain into the United States. I had no idea who he was. But I just, ha- I mean, this had to be God. I just opened this book and went, what is this? And there was a whole page of content that I recognized from one of Hubbard's books where he claimed that that was his content, which meant, oh, L. Ron Hubbard plagiarized this guy, and I didn't even realize how bad that really was. I just realized, wow, we've been duped. And at the point of that revelation, I mean, you you spent a number of years now within Scientology at some pretty high levels. During that time, did you, just as in the sidebar here, did you ever have an encounter with, did you ever have an opportunity to meet either Hubbard or Miss Cabbage? No. Uh, Hubbard was out in the desert, uh, so I never met him. And Miss Cavage was kind of new. He he wasn't all he wasn't uh, in leadership at that time. This was the uh, late seventies, and uh, he wasn't really around at that point. But he was toward the end, towards the time we were getting ready to realize, uh, you know, what we'd gotten sucked into. He was coming on the scene, and and it was obvious that there was some leadership. There's some toxic leadership going on. Late 1970s, that was a turbulent time in um, Scientology vis-a-vis the infiltration of the FBI and IRS, and I think uh, Hubbard's wife even went to jail for a time over all of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and there wasn't the... Inter- I mean, they had people so intimidated into not speaking out against them, but now with the internet, I mean, it, you know, it's a whole different story now. They can't, they they can't continue to control people like they used to back then. Yeah, the irony is that there was a gentleman um, many many years ago. Um, I want to say his last name was Armstrong. He he had been hired by Scientology to be the official biographer of L. Ron Hubbard, and of course, as began his his research into uh, the life of Hubbard, discovered just how many inaccuracies and and holes there were, eventually left the church. And I recall, my goodness, this is more than 
than 20, 25 years ago. Um, their involvement in intimidating him to not do radio interviews because they didn't want all of this information going public. But I guess today that's that is the feather pillow torn open in the middle of the fan in the living room. <laughs> You're never going to yep. stuff all of those feathers back in again, uh, thanks to the Internet. Exactly. And what's interesting is that all cults, they all do the same thing. They all try and bully those who are willing to speak out and speak the truth. They all do the same thing. They threaten legal. They create fake websites, news websites to smear the person's reputation. I mean, that's what the other cult did to me in the Christian world. So it's amazing to see the similarities and the parallels. Yeah, it's interesting if you go online and you Google for any of the Scientology videos, there's a couple of really crazy ones with, well, there's a lot of crazy ones, but but with Tom Cruise in specific. And now Scientology is taken to purchasing ads that run ahead of the YouTube content. It's, it's amazing. If you've just joined us, Athena Dean Holtz is with us today. She is coming full circle. That, by the way, is the title of her new book, Full circle coming home to the faithfulness of God. We'll talk more about her life's journey and what brought her full circle as our conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Our guest tonight, Athena Dean Holtz, co-founder of Wine Press Publishing and now leading Redemption Press, very aptly named. She's got a new book out called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Athena, we were mentioning before the break how that it was about three circles, uh, three cycles rather, that you were involved with the Church of Scientology and, and eventually were able to pull away from there. And I don't want to make this entire conversation tonight about Scientology, but I'm just curious. Given how challenging it can be for that to happen, and I think a lot of folks don't understand uh, uh, Scientology um, uh, thoughts about SPs or suppressive persons, and uh, in, in many senses, losing friends and even family when leaving Scientology. How difficult, ultimately, then was it for you to extract yourself from Scientology? Well, it was uh, difficult because we had not only a lot of family involved, but we also had a lot of people that worked for us who were Scientologists. So not only did they all quit, uh, our children got kicked out of the school they went to, which was a Scientology school, uh, which we went to the newspapers on. We weren't afraid to confront that um, like we would have been prior to that. but, you know, we had to just be willing to uh, walk away from all the friendships that we have had because, I mean, it was just, it got to the place where, okay, uh, we just can't, we can't endorse a lie anymore. Now that we know, that we know, that we know this is a lie, we're done. We discussed the fact that in your formative years as a child, uh, probably the, the the closest you had to an association with organized religion um, it was your grandmother, who was a unity pastor down in Southern California. At what point did you in your life, Athena, begin to explore the claims of Christ? Well, I did not hear the gospel until I was 33 years old. So not, I had not heard it at all, never went to VBS or Awana or anything like that. And I actually was in a, um, I was in an insurance and securities company, very successful. I was making big money doing that. 
but God had put me in a place where I was surrounded by Christians. And at that point in my life, I thought Christians were wimps. And that, I mean, I was pretty much a God hater. I just, I don't need that. I'm successful. I'm making big money. Of course, all my relationships were a mess, but I (laughs) thought I was doing just fine. So it was amazing how God put me in that place to where, and then worked the situation so that Chuck and I were on the edge of divorce. I had, he, you know, there's too much to go into it right now, what led up to that, but it was finally, okay, we're done. And he got saved. And I saw such a change in him that I just not even realizing I was saying it said, well, maybe maybe we can put divorce on hold and try again. And God just began to do, I mean, my friend sent me a copy of um, Mere Christianity. I don't remember a thing that I read, but all I remember was that I, I knew I needed a savior. As much as I think I had it all together, which was a, a total lie, uh, that was what broke my heart. And so when I when I got saved, it was a major transformation at that point at age 33. And away we went into full-time ministry way too soon, working for Point Man Ministries and working with Vietnam veterans and their family members. And that really set me up, I think, for the next deception that came along because I really didn't have a strong foundation. And the irony, and some listeners that are not familiar, Athena, with your story will get a bit of a chuckle out of this, um, in that you got involved with a church based there in Washington State, uh, <laughs> whose whose title was Sound Doctrine, but whose teaching apparently was anything but. How did you... I was going to say come across the path, but I would maybe more aptly put, um, how did you fall into the snare of Tim Williams? Well, what's interesting was he was very clever about putting people that were under his influence in places of credibility. And his wife was helping with the Right to Publish conference at Wheaton College that was started by Moody Bible College. And that's where I met her. I used to speak and be on faculty at that conference every year. And she was helping the conference director. And so there was automatically a level of credibility that she never should have had, but she did. And she began to tell me, oh, my husband's got this really edgy book. And, you know, I just don't think that traditional publishers are spiritual enough to really understand Uh, where he's going so I you know it was just a total schmooze really that she flattered me into thinking you know wow we have some we can perceive uh, truth where others can't I mean that was it, it really their whole thing and I think cults do that anyway they appeal to your pride and there's enough of the and there's enough of an element of truth in there to give it an air of legitimacy. Absolutely. And as you suggest, uh, the, the the Williams has surrounded themselves at the periphery with enough legitimate people, enough of a brush with legitimacy that would make even the casual observer say, "Well, this must be okay." You've just made just named inside of five seconds two major respected Christian universities 
in this country. Certainly there can't be anything wrong with that. And of course, as we all know, people that are really close to God, they are the ones for whom God has revealed his most intimate Secrets. I mean, after all, wasn't it John on the Isle of Patmos that received the revelation? Wasn't it um, um, Paul who, who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament? My goodness. So you must have, it must have appealed at a certain level then to, to, to the flesh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because I had no foundation, I didn't know the difference between Scripture in context and Scripture out of context. So here Tim Williams comes along, quotes scripture every other sentence out of his mouth. He's quoting a scripture to back up what he just said. Well, I didn't know that half the time they were out of context and didn't even apply. So to me, that intimidated me into thinking, wow, my first 13 years as a Christian was lame. It was like not even real Christianity because this guy knows what real Christianity is because of all these scriptures he can spout and all you know it was just it, it was just insidious really a uh, way of making people feel like uh, we're not as spiritual as they are and so they have the answer and so we have to do whatever God tells us through them. And the notion that nobody else would publish ultimately what became his infamous book, Hating for Jesus, the fact that nobody else would publish it was seen as, well, this is a, this is a badge of honor here because we're going we're gonna to tell a truth that nobody else is bold enough, faithful enough, or trusting of God enough to tell. Once that book went public and the firestorm of controversy began swelling around not only Williams, the sound doctrine, quote unquote, church, better cult, the controversial book, and ultimately you as the publisher, at what point did you begin to think, um, this is coming off the rails here. Maybe there's another story to this story that we're not aware of. I completely never came to that conclusion because they had already sown into my thoughts. You know, if anybody doesn't agree with this, they don't really love God. They're on the wide road headed for destruction. We are on the narrow road. We're obeying God. They don't really want God. They're an idolater. They need to repent. We need to stand against them and cut them off so that they will come to repentance. They had already poured all of that into me. So if anyone even looked at me cross-eyed about the title or the content, I would be indignant. It was crazy. And and it's interesting to note the similarities between how all of that was handled by Williams in, in, in preparing, inoculating, we might even call it, against criticism in, in this situation and how very shockingly or frighteningly similar that is to the methodology used by the Church of Scientology. You did the whole, you know, suppressive person business and intimidating people, family members, you know, lawsuits, all of that. Same thing. Well, if you don't believe, you don't embrace, then, then you're clearly a heretic or you're, you're just not open enough to the truth. Exactly. And so when I finally blew the whistle and walked away 12 years after losing everything to them, uh, the, the lawsuit, the threats of lawsuits to anybody who would, ex, you know, share my side of the story, they got 
sued. They got threatened to be sued. Uh, every writer's conference I ever went to got a letter saying, if you have her come back, we're going to sue you. I mean, it, it, they're like, they think they're above the law, just like Scientology. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting tonight with Athena Dean Holtz. Her book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Now, if you've been listening to this since we began our conversation a half hour ago, you might be thinking, what a spiritual train wreck. And though the irony is that this, uh, to one degree or another, is, uh, as Scripture tells us, uh, but for the grace of God, right, that, that those having itching ears. So we need to guard our hearts our souls, our minds, and we need to be steeped in the Word of God so that we can be truth-tellers, fact-checkers, and understand that there is a reason why God says that there needs to be a separation of the wheat and chaff. We're going to come back to more of Athena's story and bring you full circle to where she's at today, how she eventually came out of the cult called Sound Doctrine. Isn't that a kick? And what the Lord's doing in her life right now in 2017 as our conversation continues right after this and now back to lifeline with craig roberts some might call it a bit, uh, well, schizophrenia on the spiritual journey that Athena Dean Holtz has been on. From a brush with unity as a child, her grandmother had been a unity preacher and teacher down in Southern California, to almost a dozen years involved with the Church of Scientology, then leaving the church, having an encounter with Jesus Christ, being involved in very stand-up ministry organizations. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, the involvement with Point Man Ministries, and then getting involved, sadly, with yet another false teacher that led to a great deal of heartache. And for you, Athena, when when did the when did the egg fall and break and spill the yolk all over the the table for you, or all over the floor rather? And were there times in this journey, particularly after the negative experience that you had with uh, Tim Williams, that you thought this God stuff has got to be a bunch of hooey and and consider just giving up on any thought of being involved in, in quote unquote religion or spirituality absolutely in fact you know the 12 years that I spent in sound doctrine most of that time uh alone because they'd talk me into divorcing my husband in Jesus name and not talking to my kids for 12 years huh. because they were idolaters, so have nothing to do with them. Uh, you know, every time I pointed out something that looked wrong, it always got turned back on me. Oh, you've just got a bitter root, and you need to get the log out of your eye. Uh, don't look at the speck in my eye. I mean, typical abuser behavior that always, you know, like the guy who beats his wife up and then turns it around. Well, if you'd have had dinner done on time, I wouldn't have gotten angry. That whole mentality was the entire... I mean, they use scriptures out of context like, uh, well, you know, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, so learn from this. So I, I'm flogging myself for 12 years saying, okay, Lord, I, I want to please you. I want to do what's right. Okay, if this is who you've put in my life, 
<laughs> then I want to submit to that. You know, so it was all zeal without knowledge. And, and a lot it sounds like, and, and, from, and from what they were dishing out, both Tim Williams as well as what happened at the hands of Scientology, a lot of fear, intimidation, and manipulation being used to control you. Absolutely. Absolute bullying. And in the name of God. <laughs> and so, yeah, by, by the time I turned the company over to them, $3.5 million, 20-year-old company turned it over to them for 10 bucks, thinking it was my gift to God. And the next year spending, uh, you know, they cut my pay in half and they cut me down to minimum wage and they, they had me cleaning toilets, you know, thinking it was discipline from the Lord. I finally did say, you know what, if this is God, I don't want him. I really did come to that place. And it was, it was pretty much at that time that the enemy, the Satan, overplayed his hand. And after they'd gotten everything from me, the company, my car, my house, everything, and my credit was ruined, uh, they said I owed the use tax on all the assets, almost $150,000 worth of assets that got transferred from me to them, buyer to seller. Well, that sales tax or use tax is supposed to be paid by the buyer, not by the seller. But they convinced me that my gift to God, that I would cover that $15,000 as if I had any place to get it, which I didn't. So, I mean, at that point, I said, look, I can't get this money for you. I don't want anything to happen to Wine Press. I don't want them to go after Wine Press. So is there someone who could sign, you know, co-sign for me so I can borrow this money and pay it? Two days later, I got a letter certified from their lawyer that said, if this is not taken care of and you don't follow through with your agreement within the next so many days, we will take further action. I'm like, excuse me? Uh, isn't there a scripture that says you're not supposed to sue a brother or sister? <laughs> and that's when the light started coming on and I realized, okay, I I'm done. I'm just done. I called my son. I said, where are you? I'm coming. And two day, and I really did think I was walking away from God because I looked at that and said, if that's God, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want him. I, I, no, I'm done. So my son takes me to a lawyer to talk about bankruptcy because we didn't, you know, I mean, it was just a train wreck. And this guy looked at the sale paperwork and just said, this is fraud. This is a sham. This, I mean, every page he turned, he was shaking his head saying, I can't believe they did this to you. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, that wasn't God. That was a gross misrepresentation of who God is. So that was a good thing. I have to wonder, in, in the roots of a lot of all of this, early on in the book, you talk about, as, as a young girl, teenager, you were involved in equestrian sports. There was much where you sought to find, uh, to achieve, rather, your your father's approval, which is normal for any kid. But I, I have to wonder if part of this, wanting to be pleasing or kind of going along with the party line, whether it was being uh, metered out by the sound doctrine cult or by the Scientologists, was at some level an effort to try to gain a, a sense of approval, if not by your earthly father, by your heavenly father? Exactly. So I was looking at, I was looking for that approval in unhealthy ways. 
and in the wrong place. And that's just what's so incredible about how I could get to such utter devastation and absolutely having lost everything, how God's love for me and approval and my significance and purpose in Him was able to be redeemed and revived and healed. And I mean, it's just been over the last five years, been totally blown my mind how God has taken what, you know, put most people absolutely hard-hearted and never want to talk about God again, never want to be involved in anything having to do with church, how God took that and still was able to use it to give hope to others. Now, some people, listening here, some people listening, um, Athena, are going to say, this This is the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers, <laughs> which would give folks a good reason to go out and get a copy of your book to hear the whole story. But in, in a minute or two that we have left, uh, walk me through that, that conclusion, that, that closing of the circle. After having gone through all of that, what eventually led you back to the Lord and got you rooted? in sound teaching and in in solid biblical doctrine for the first time in your life? Well, it was, I think the turning point was me asking the question, what was wrong with me? What did I do to open the door for the enemy to deceive me the way he did to the point where I believed a lie was the truth for 12 years and gave up everything for it? That was a good question to ask, because then I could take ownership and see where I was vulnerable, and some of it was my own doing. And so to take, you know, I could have pointed the finger at him, because what he did was evil. But I had to know, was there something I needed to take responsibility for and be willing to own? And from that point, my growth in him and my uh, just restoration in him was like leaps and bounds because I, I didn't just get bitter and, you know, blow, blow off God. I saw my part and I began to grow and I got counseling and I started going to a, an evangelical free church right here in town who, by the way, I'm now the pastor's wife because his wife of 49 years told me before she ever got sick, you know, I told Ross, if anything ever happens to me, he needs to marry you. <laughs> which freaked me right out. Hadn't been on a date in 14 years when she said that to me. And uh, I went to Texas to take care of my mom. And while I was there, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer and died very quickly. Wrote a list, told Ross, you know, you need to get married. You've been married 49 years. You need someone to take care of you. And, you, and here's my list for you. And I was number one on the list. And it's like a modern-day Cinderella story. I mean, it really is. He is just the perfect, solid, not a controlling person, but strong in his faith. He's been in ministry 40 years, and he's well-respected in the city gates in this little town of Enumclaw and was one of the first pastors who got all the phone calls from all these distraught parents whose children were now in this cult. So talk about a full circle. 
That's yeah. a huge one. Well, it also demonstrates that God is not only a God of a great sense of humor, but a God of forgiveness and restoration. The book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God by Athena Dean Holtz. And as we mentioned, newly published by Redemption Press. You can get it at uh, bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and through Athena's website, Athena Dean Holtz, H-O-L-T-Z.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you have young ears near the radio, it might be a good time to busy them elsewhere around the house as uh, we get an opportunity to kind of talk parent to parent, dealing with a topic that, um, quite frankly, you do need to be talking to your children about. And this is the topic about talking about the topic. If I thoroughly confused you now, good. When we were kids, not that many years ago, I constantly remind myself, uh, we learned about the birds and the bees from a variety of sources. Usually they were peers who had either heard about it from older brothers and sisters, or maybe had stumbled upon uh, dad's magazine collection, something of that sort. And so we kind of came up through the process of learning about um, sexuality through outside sources, and then eventually mom and dad came along and sat down and had the talk. I remember when my dad had the talk, and I'm not sure who was more nervous about it, he or I. Well, that sense of nervousness hasn't changed much, but i tell you what has changed. The sense that parents have in terms of what the talk should consist of, what the kids do and do not already know about sexuality, and then third and perhaps most importantly, how early that conversation needs to take place. Um, We would think in this day and age with the over-sexualization of our society that this would be an easier conversation to have. But for many parents, it's become increasingly more difficult. So at what point can we begin a meaningful and age-appropriate conversation about such subjects as sexuality, pornography, and even more serious sexual abuse? Well, my guest today has some insights on that very topic. In fact, she is the author of a new book called Five Things Every Parent Needs to Know About Their Kids and Sex. And Marie Miller, thanks for taking time to be with us tonight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of those discussions that every parent knows that they should have or need to have with their son and daughter. And yet, uh, I think all have the tendency to want to put it off. And, And as you suggest in the book, almost every parent today has a number of really severe misconceptions about what their child knows, when they learned it, and what the source was. So maybe we can start with kind of, uh, before we we encourage parents on how to educate their own children on the topic of sexuality, perhaps some parents need to be educated to begin with. Sure. Um, What kind of brought this topic to mind so much that I felt like it was kind of my message to share with the world was um, my own story. I grew up a preacher's kid in a, a very conservative Southern environment and was never talked to about sex and through that was um, abused by a youth pastor unfortunately and exposed to pornography in my teens and this was years and years and years ago Um, and God has healed me in tremendous ways and so I started sharing my story to high school students, college students 
and then even more recently, middle school students. And what came out of years of sharing my story was learning that children as young as 10, nine years old um, are, are being abused, are exposed to pornography, and they're terrified to talk to their parents about it. They're, they feel so much shame. And so once I, I kind of saw that this was a, a very common pattern, I started doing some research into what our kids are exposed to and when and why it's so important to talk to them a lot sooner than we think is is realistic. One of the big um, issues that you take umbrage with early on and throughout the book, and maybe it's a good jumping off point for our discussion today, and that is this notion that every parent has that my child is the exception. Um, This idea that, well, uh, my son or daughter, they were raised in a good Christian home or a good Christian school or they have good Christian parents or a good Christian upbringing, and therefore we don't need to worry about such matters. I'm not going to be concerned about them sexualizing early or or getting in trouble because after all we've done all the right things what what is wrong about this misconception that many parents have that it's not going to be their kid that their kid is the sole exception sure no i think there's kind of a a two-part answer to that the first being it's not about sheltering like we can shelter our children as much as possible we can hide them in the basement away from technology not give them smartphones or ipads or anything like that um but sheltering is not the answer it's having a conversation is because at some point your child is going to be an adult and will need to know how to process sexualized information that they received from the world and on the other hand of this I was the exception. Um, Like I said before, I was a preacher's kid. I grew up in a very small town that was very conservative with good values and great parents and a great home life and a small school. And and, I mean, this was before the Internet, so I wasn't even exposed to what's on the Internet now um, at that young of an age. But yet, unfortunately, as I said, life still happened and, and I was still abused by somebody and through that abuse was exposed to pornography and was terrified to talk to my parents about it. So now with the internet and apps and social media, even though you may be doing everything you can to to shelter or to protect your child and, and that's very valuable, your child probably has a friend who has access to the internet or will hear something on the radio or hear something even at church um, just that another child says that they need to be prepared to know how to respond to. So we can't protect our, our children from everything all the time. And it's really about teaching them how to process that. And, and you know, the irony, uh, Anne-Marie, is it's not that many years ago, not that many generations ago, when the whole issue of a child being introduced to such matters was a question of uh, when it was going to happen and uh, under what circumstances the parent would introduce the topic. Today, as you suggest, with peer pressure, media entertainment, social media at all, uh, it almost sounds like this is sort of a grace against time, meaning that they'll be exposed to it. The question is, who gets to them first and what kind of a message are they exposed to? Is it the healthy, biblically-based viewpoint on sexuality and reproduction and uh, this creation of God? Or is it the distorted view that is one that, quite frankly, for a lot of kids, I think, can... um, can lead them to believe that this is just simply uh, a, a dirty subject. Right. There's um, so much in the world today that is changing. 
what values were right 20 years ago are wrong now and and vice versa and we, by teaching our children that the scripture is the truth and scripture doesn't change and giving them that perspective early on is so key to forming their their sexual development and and how they interpret sexual messages from the world um because they're there they're they're going to receive them and the parents should be on the front lines of of communicating that and being a, a valuable and trustworthy place for their kids to come to to talk about sex and Marie Miller, our guest today, a look at five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex. We'll come back to more of our conversation as we look at these five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex. And we'll deal with the big question of what about this matter of exposure to online porn and how early does it can it potentially begin? We'll address that question and more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.